You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. It doesn't seem like it's been 24 years since Valparaiso's Bryce Drew caught a pass and fired up a three-pointer to help 13th-seeded Valpo defeat number four seed Mississippi in the opening round of the 1998 NCAA tournament. The shot not only propelled Valpo past Ole Miss and into the second round, where the Crusaders also defeated Florida State, it also put Valpo on the national map. Our guest today, Homer Drew, had 371 coaching victories with the Crusaders among his 640 career wins. He also earned eight conference regular season titles, eight conference tournament titles, nine postseason appearances, three postseason victories, and he faced the number one team in the nation in six of the last seven years as coach. He also sent 32 players to the pros and 80 players, 80 into teaching or coaching. Two of his greatest protégés are his sons, Bryce and Scott. Bryce coaches at Grand Canyon in Phoenix, and Scott is the head coach at Baylor, where he won the 2021 national title a year ago tonight. Homer is also one of the nicest people you can ever meet, not only in coaching, but in life. Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. Well, you did your homework, that's for sure, on all That's more stats than I remembered. <laughs> and definitely I'm not sure about the nicest guy or one of the nicest guys, but thank you for the nice introduction. Well, and, and I definitely, all the, I had to look up some of the other stuff. That one I didn't have to look up because I got to know you during my time at Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I know I've visited with you a few times at Big 12 tournaments when you're coming to watch Scott coach, things like that. I, that one I didn't have to look up. I know that for a fact. So does it seem like it's been 24 years since that famous shot? No. I mean, you talk about as you get older how time quickly passes, David. It just, we were adding it up. Uh, Bryce got nine. We couldn't believe it's been, you know, 24 years. And I think what really helps is that every year the fans vote, and it's always been one of the top three shots of all times in the in the March Madness um, yeah. tournament. So it you see it over and over. And the nice thing, I don't have to worry about a ball going in because I know it goes in. So I really... <laughs> I really enjoy seeing it over and over again. Yeah, I, I love the expression that it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. How did your world change after that shot went in? It became much easier to recruit because now people had heard more about Valparaiso University and they had a chance to see our players because in the interviews afterwards, uh, our players were just very articulate, very knowledgeable and made a good representation for Valparaiso University. Now, you've coached an awful lot of guys. I talked about some of the statistics of guys that went to the pros, other guys who went into coaching. How much fun was it to coach your son? I feel uh, it was a, a true blessing. And when Bryce hit the shot, as you remember, Dave, that Scott was my assistant coach. Mm -hmm. So if we had Scott and I and Bryce all together, and that made a really a special moment that, you know, exists even to today. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen you with Scott many times. I haven't seen you. I don't know Bryce very well at all, but uh, I know Scott really, really well. Um, it's really cool to see you guys getting along and just interacting with each other uh, as well as you do. I got a question for you, though. There's a lot of people after they achieve success like you did or achieve notoriety the way you did, that 
look for the next step. You stayed at Valpo for a long time. Did you have opportunities to move on to maybe a major conference school? And why did you stay at Valpo? We had some other opportunities, yes, but uh, it seemed like the timing was never perfect because uh, we really enjoyed, we had three children, uh, my wife, Janet, myself, and we had Dana, a daughter in between Scott and Bryce. So uh, we, Valparaiso was just a wonderful community to raise children. We were an hour and 15 minutes from Chicago and yet had a, a, a nice, um, the high school was, Valparaiso High School was uh, one of the, the top uh, high schools in all of Indiana. So it gave them a good background and education mm-hmm. and a chance to play um, sports at, at Valparaiso. So it, it was a really wonderful place to raise children. And so when the opportunities came, it, it, the timing was just not right. So a year ago, right about now, you were getting ready to watch Scott face Gonzaga for the national championship knowing you didn't have any role in that other than being a great fan. How much fun was that to watch that whole final four and especially the preparation for the end of the championship game? It certainly was enjoyable, fun. It was really fun after that buzzer went off and the confetti came down and you knew they were champions. Uh, there was a lot of anticipation and worry. And I, I think at least from my point of view, it was much easier to coach than to watch Bryson and, and Scott coach because you want them to be successful. You want them to have their team perform so well that I would get more nervous for their games rather than, than my game. So when he won the national championship, David, it was just, uh, well, it was one of the, the greatest thing. One of the greatest things as a father and all fathers can appreciate this because you, you love to see your, your, your children accomplish the dreams of what they want. Mm-hmm. Rice's dream was always to make a last second shot. It really and he was able to accomplish that. And Bryce's, or excuse me, Scott's dream was to win the national championship. And so when he won that, um, he was first to give credit to the staff and to the players, uh, which is rightly so, because it's not one person, but right. it's, it takes many. Uh, in order to have a a successful program. But it was Scott's dream to win that national championship. So to be able to live long enough, and I say thank you, Jesus, for that, that I was able to live long enough to see both of them um, enjoy a a dream come true. And one of the the best moments was when they won the championship and then Scott was hugging Jerome Tang. Jerome was the first person that Scott hired he was there all 19, 20 years with Scott. Tremendous uh, friendship, respect, and together, those, it was neat to see those two hug because of all the time and all the effort uh, and work that they put in. You know, it's interesting, Coach. You can see, for those who are watching these clips, uh, that I'm wearing my K-State shirt today. Uh, I don't know if I could have picked Jerome Tang out of a lineup. Uh, even though he was, you know, a top assistant for Scott before what happened a couple of weeks ago and K- when K-State uh, hired him away. Now I can say, oh, yeah, there he is. Oh, there he is. And that in that clip, oh, there he is coaching and stuff. Um, let's, let's go back to the beginning uh, with Scott at Baylor. He took over what had to be the worst coaching situation possible. Not only did he not have much of a team because everybody was leaving, 
he was, he, you know, they were on probation. They had just such a terrible scandal uh, hanging over the program. Not as a dad, but as a coach, did you think what Scott accomplished, Scott and his staff accomplished last year was possible? Uh, yes, I, I did agree. Uh, did think so because the nice thing is when Scott took over, there was only one way to go, David, and that was up. You yeah. know, they can't go any lower. In, in my lifetime, it's the worst um, scenario I've ever seen. You know, for a coach going into a new situation. So, the the best thing that ever happened was that when Scott got there, they. Um, they talked about a six-year contract. Well, what we added to that contract was that it doesn't begin until after all the probations from the NCAA in order to give Scott time enough to build a program, and they agreed to that. So he actually had a nine- or ten-year scholar or uh, uh, contract that gave him the opportunity to see his dream fulfilled with the national championship. Yeah. As so many coaches these days, the, the window is so short. You either turn things around right now or you're out of there in two or three years. I mean, it's not uncommon anymore for a coach to get two years and, and be gone. And that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the coach. It's not good for the players. It's not good for the university. Obviously as a K-State guy, I can look, look at our football program and what Bill Snyder did, and I actually wrote a book called The Greatest Turnaround in College Football History about how Coach Snyder took the K-State program that was below ground zero. They had to work their way up to get to ground zero and, and turn it into a championship-level program. I think what Scott took over was worse for a lot of different reasons, but I, he had farther to go to get to ground zero than even Coach Snyder did. you agree with that? Uh, I think I do agree with it. And Bill Snyder uh, is a William Jewell grad. So, and I'm a William Jewell grad. So we go back a long way, but it was wonderful to see him um, and the value and the work and determination to take in uh, Kansas State and really turn them into a, a football power while he was there. Yeah, for sure. Now, you talked about you got to watch both of your sons achieve their goals. I'm going to put you on the spot here and you can plead the fifth if you want, which was more exciting watching Bryce's shot go in where you were the coach or watching Scott's team win the national title, or can you choose? Uh, you, you, it's a beautiful question and it's an easy answer. Both, both are <laughs> right there together. So that's, that's as diplomatic and as truthful as I can be because they were both uh, unique for each one of the sons. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, as I mentioned, I know Scott pretty well. I mean, we're not buddy-buddy by any stretch, but he always says hi to me at Big 12 Tournament. Um, I covered him, covered the games both at Kansas and Kansas State this year, and he walked by me and put his arm, arm on my shoulder and said, hey, bud, how are you? Uh, I know him pretty well. I'm still trying to get him on the podcast, but he's too much in demand right now. <laughs> the thing I appreciate most about him is that success hasn't changed him. He's just as nice as the coach at as the coach of the national champions, as he was when he was just getting started. And I remember one year at Big 12 Media Day, this is my favorite Scott Drew story. We were told that his wife was due to deliver their second or third child any day. And if got, Scott got the call, he would leave. And we all like, yeah, okay, whatever. He got the call 
right before it was his time to head to the podium and he was out the door. And I was so impressed with his priorities. You and your wife obviously get a lot of credit for instilling those priorities in him, but just talk about the fact that success has not changed Scott one bit. Very proud of all three children with Bryce and Scott and Dana as well. Dana has her law degree. Uh, She's very uh, knowledgeable. She loves the sports world. She was an All-American at Toledo University, both academically and as a player. She played professionally over in Europe because they didn't have a WNBA uh, at that time. So, and, and all three of them have, a, uh, have been really blessed with a lot of different gifts. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm just really proud that they, had had, they have not been changed because as you and I know, a lot of people who gain a lot of success lose a little bit of the humbleness and recognize that you still learn from other people. None of us are intelligent enough or smart enough to know everything. And so we can learn from other people. And all three uh, of our children um, have that gift to listen and, and still have remained very humble. So really proud of them for that. I, I want to I get you to pat yourself on, on the back a little bit as as you know, I'm working with one of your uh, former teammates, uh, Larry Holly, at William Jewell. You played basketball, William Jewell, for those people who are listening from other parts of the country right here in Kansas City. So how good were you as a player? Uh, <laughs> well, um, Larry Holly helped me become a better player because he was a great passer. And so we played in the uh, both in the backcourt at William Jewell and 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 had enjoyable years together and successful years together. And we would talk um, on these long bus rides that we would have about coaching. And if we would go into coaching, what would we do? How would we do it? So it's been wonderful. We've maintained a friendship all of these 40, 50 years um, of our life together. And so I'm thrilled you're helping him because he does need help. And... (laughs) (laughs) And he needs someone to pass him the ball. So you keep passing the words to him. But I'm excited to, to read the book and very happy for him. And, and it's, a, it's a great friendship with Larry. But you didn't answer my question. How good were you? <laughs> um, well, both of us were good players. Both of us started, both of us, uh, I think both of us were uh, NEI All-Americans, uh, honorable mention, I think, and all-conference and that. So we enjoyed playing. But we had good people around us, too. Mm-hmm. Were you a scorer? Uh, sometimes, yes. I could score. If, yes. Both Larry right. and so, I could shoot the ball well. Okay. So g- give, me, give me your scouting report. You're now scouting the Cardinals. You're scouting William Jewell, and they've got this dynamic backcourt. So tell me about this, this two-guard uh, named Homer Drew. What, what do you need to stop to keep him from being successful? Wow. Um, we'll have more quickness and have more size because that always is, is tough to go against um, off of that. Um, both Larry and I were blessed. Both of us could play point or the off guard. So we okay. would alternate uh, doing that. Um, but if you had speed and if you had size, then it, it was a challenge. Could you hit the outside shot? Could you? I know there wasn't a three point line because there wasn't when I was in school either. Could you have hit a three-pointer at the buzzer to beat a higher-seeded team had that three-point line been there? Both Larry Holly and I could do that. In fact, Larry had a greater range than I did. 
He really had depth. He, he would have been, uh, he would have held the three point record. I would think for jewel for many years, he was a superb outside shooter. So what was, what was your best attribute? Oh goodness. You better ask Larry that one. (laughs) (laughs) I interviewed a guy uh, recently who, who is uh, in his early nineties and I'll get to your, I'll ask you the same question because I ask everybody uh, what's your legacy at the very end. And he said, well, I'll give you a kind of the same answer I get when people ask me how I'm doing. Cause you know, at my age, you know, you're never quite sure. And he said, people ask me how I'm doing and I'll say, well, physically I'm doing fine. Mentally, you probably ought to ask somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I will ask next time I talk to Larry, which uh, I think we're scheduled to talk here really soon, but next time I talk to him, I will, uh, I'll ask him what your best attribute was. Maybe we can slide that in here uh, somewhere. You, I, I take it from the conversation that you had, the conversations, I should say, that you had with Larry, that you wanted to be a coach. When, when did that become a goal for you? Well, we, our junior and senior years, we would talk about basketball and, and coaching basketball. And then uh, after uh, I graduated, I did a master's degree at Washington University. And, was, uh, and then I coached the freshman team at Washington University, St. Louis. So then it became a reality that I really enjoyed working with young people and encouraging them and trying to get them better, both skill-wise and be able to get a degree and, and, and go on into life and, and be successful uh, in life as well. So then it really became a reality for me that this uh, and I thank God for getting me into a, a profession that wasn't, um, yes, you have bad days, but you have more good days. And, and I always enjoyed going, going to work, even after losses, to build and learn from that. I, I think you've answered my next question. What did you like most about coaching? But I'm guessing that it had little to do with wins and losses on the scoreboard. Is that correct? Well, th- that's very true. Very nicely put. The scoreboard wasn't as, as important as the scoreboard of life. And it was wonderful to see a freshman come in, David, and very unsure and not uh, sure which direction he wants to go in, doesn't have that maybe the confidence. And as seniors, they come around and they know everything. They know the shortcuts. They know what, how much they have to study. This professor demands more than the other professor. So you just see a great growth in them from freshman to senior year. And I really, really enjoyed uh, being a part of that development for them. And you mentioned, uh, and I wasn't prepared for this one, but you mentioned uh, that you got your master's and then you also have a doctorate. Is that correct? That is correct. In in, in, in basketball, as you know, from covering it, it's, it's not the most secure profession. So I always wanted to have a backup. And so I got a master's and then I got a doctorate in educational administration so that if coaching didn't work out, then um, I had, I had an, another alternative to get into. It's, it's kind of funny. I, I, I think it was Steve Jobs who invented Apple that after he sold the company for several hundred million dollars, he went back and finished his college degree and somebody asked him why he did that. And he said, because my mom told me I would never, never be successful without a college degree. <laughs> I think it's humorous that as successful as you were, 
that you got a doctorate in case coaching didn't work out. But how did you use what you learned getting your doctorate in, you said, educational administration? Correct. How did you use that as a coach, as an athletic coach? Because you had classes in leadership and motivation, uh, planning, organizing. And so I took certain elements from classwork and then just applied it to the, to the world of sport. And this is, this is true of anything. I mean, in business, they have their goals, their long-term objectives. They have their day-to-day. So it's, I love the sports world because it makes a good transition to life. And, and I think the two biggest things, Dave, about it is one is that you learn to work together. In basketball, one person, even Michael Jordan in my lifetime, you know, he was a great player scoring 50 and 60 points a game, but he didn't win the championships until he had good people around him, Pippen, Cartwell, um, and, and others to, to blend in, to, to make the, the championship seasons come true. So it really teaches young people to work and get along. And we need that so much yeah. in today's world because we're Zooming, we're on the computer one-on-one with the darn screen all the time. Did I think sometimes we've forgotten to learn how to communicate with one another. Yeah. And so uh, that's what the, I think, especially basketball, where you, when you work together and have a quote chemistry or where you respect one another, trust one another, that's when great things happen. Yeah, for sure. And, and I don't think there's a better example. I keep going back to Scott and what he did last year. I don't know that he had any McDonald's All-Americans on the team or any five-star recruits, but he had guys that knew their roles, that filled their roles, that blended well together, that communicated. All those things you were just talking about did that better than anybody. I mean, there, there were a lot of teams they beat who had more talent, but they didn't have that, that continuity and that, that togetherness and that communication. Very well put. And one of the big things was the unselfishness. They, they took as much pride for me throwing the ball to David to score as it was uh, hitting Teague and Butler and Davian and, and going inside to the bigs, that they enjoyed that as much as they, uh, as they themselves scoring. And that's what made them so special. You, you, your identity to that is a great example. Okay, let's talk about your coaching style. And I'm talking about both from a technical standpoint and a relationship relationship standpoint. So tactical, were you a, a you know fast moving, fast motion? Were you a half court coach? Did you focus on defense first? What was your tactical approach as a coach? It all depended on the players and what was their best talent. How would if we if they were fast and mobile and quick, then we would love to get up and down the floor. If we were bigger and slower, then we'd become more of a of a half court team. So to answer your question. Yeah, I looked at the personnel and then took what they could do the best. And we tried to fit our offense and defense around their talents. Why don't more coaches do that? We see so many coaches that say they try and recruit to their system. And if they don't have as they don't have the, you know, it's, it's all about the X's and O's, but if they can't get the Jimmy's and Joe's, they're not going to be successful. Why don't more coaches say, okay, these are the guys I've got on my team. These are their best skills. Let's build it around that. Well, if they can bring in the people, the same likeness in people as far as size and talent and speed and that, then you can stay with one system. Um, at a mid-major school, you we always didn't get the ones that we wanted. Right. And so we had to be more flexible. 
All right. What about from a relational standpoint? I, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I want to, it's kind of like when I write a story, I know what, I, I know what the person is going to say, but I need it in their words. So I'm going to ask you the question from a relational standpoint, what kind of a coach were you? Wow. You need to ask the players. Then they'll, they'll give you the real description of it. I tried, I attempted to be an encourager. I would try to find more positive than negative. And so when they did something well, I really would, would compliment them and try for them to do that more and more and more. But you have to, in the world of sports, obviously, and in business, anything, you have to correct when things are going wrong. And the great thing about sports is that we've got tape. And so I can bring in the player and let's look. Let's look at your offense. Let's look at your defense. Here's why you are playing. Here's why you are starting. And here's what your strength is to help our team to win. If it's the player wanting to be a starter, then we look and say, well, let's see what you need to do to improve. You know, whether it's in your shooting, defensing, rebounding. But tape is, is really a wonderful teaching uh, uh, tool to have. And so we would spend time, you know, going with tape and helping them improve individually. So I hope that I was an encourager to them. Now, I was very strict in education. I wanted them to graduate unless they could go on and play pro ball someplace. Uh, but wanted that degree because... Someday you're, you're going to be through playing basketball. Right. And that's when that degree becomes kind of a door opener, a credit card to get you in. But it's interesting, Coach, because, you know, so many coaches will say, I, I'm, I want to encourage them to do better, focus on the positive. But when, when it comes right down to it, they're more critical and they'll, they'll motivate by criticism where many, many times the these tough, macho guys, these guys that, you know, the alpha dogs, just still need that stroke. They still need that pat on the back and say, you know what, you missed that shot, but keep shooting. Or, you know, you let that guy get by you, but if you do this, but you're doing it from a positive standpoint. And I don't, I don't think enough coaches have that approach. Uh, and let me just share, let me just share, you know, a lot of coaches, we want to do it that way, but you also, you have to discipline them when they make mistakes. Right. And so I certainly, you know, know that I can, get upset if I've shared two or three times with, with the player and he's still not doing it, then, then it becomes a little more stern um, in in your thing. I think uh, in education, it was really, if you didn't make classes or what you're up at 6am running. And that was um, something very stern about. Yeah. Um, But a coach, it's, it's a fine balance. It's kind of like raising children. I mean, you love them, but you also have to discipline them as well. And the same thing with the players. You, you love, you encourage, but you also have to keep them on where our focus is and, and what's best for the team. And I think you hit on it right there, Coach. I guess I, was, I don't know if I was trying to prompt you for, for the word or what, but the word that I don't think enough people use is you have to love them. That, that was so obvious, watching your teams play and talking to, you know, talking to Scott and, and knowing he's, he probably models the way you coach very closely is is love the players are not commodities i think too many coaches look at their players as a commodity you looked at your players as individuals and you love them and maybe the best way to motivate them was to be stern but more often than not was to be positive with them and i do worry about the young coaches coming in because 
I see some of them, it's all about greed and power. You know, how much money can I make and how much power? And they forget you're there to help these students, you know, become men, to become, get an education if they need it. If they can make the pros earlier and, and uh, then anytime you can be in that first round, you need to go because the money that's there is so lucrative and it's a three-year guarantee for you that you cannot pass that up. Well, Charles Barkley, he promised his mom he would go back for an education, and he did. Now, but you got to admire Charles for doing that. Yeah, and I, when he, anytime somebody complains to me about somebody leaving school early, leaving college early, I will say, what, what's the main purpose of college, whether it's athletics or education or whatever? It's to prepare you for the next stage of life. Well, if your next stage is being a professional basketball player, or professional football player, and you have the opportunity to do that one year earlier with a great guaranteed income, why would you not do that? So I, I don't I don't doubt or don't question anybody who leaves early if given the opportunity. All right, last thing before we, we kind of wrap things up. Um, obviously, we've talked about him. What kind of a coach are, are K-Staters getting with Jerome Tang? You're getting someone who's a hard worker, very determined and in accomplishing goals, and he will love his players. He loves the players, and he very much wants them to be successful on the court and off the court as well. And you're getting a, a quality person who will be very open and very honest. I think the K-State fans at Manhattan are in for a real good treat with him. Well, we're, we're excited, I'll tell you what. That I don't know that very many people knew much about him, but as as the university and the fan base has gotten to know him or know about him, I think everybody's really excited. Uh, what are you doing to keep busy now that you're retired from coaching? Well, uh, Scott and Bryce are wonderful because they keep dad close to the game. And uh, some of the most enjoyable moments are like 11, 12 at night. And we have a three-way and they're just talking basketball. And yeah. at my age now, I'm learning more from just listening uh, to them. Uh, but so they both have been awful good. And then we follow uh, as often as we can, both of them in person. And if not, it's wonderful with, with TV because most teams are on television now. So you get to see them play all the time. And I got into a new project that I'm really excited about at Grand Canyon University. We opened up a new whole area for senior citizens. It's called Golden Lopes. Lopes is the nickname at Grand Canyon University. Right, right. So golden meaning your golden years of life. And so we're 55 and older and we offer courses for them to take at GCU taught by GU, GCU professors. So it has been fun kind of to organize and, and have an opportunity and to meet fellow uh, senior citizens. Are, are you teaching as well? Nope, I'm just kind of organizing it, directing it. Um, and I hope as time goes on, I'll sit in on some of the classes. All right, we've talked about your sons and your daughter. Um, and we've talked a little bit about your wife. So I, I've got three grandkids. Uh, you know, I always like to let people talk about their family. And here's your chance to talk about all your grandkids. We have eight grandchildren, four by Dana, one by Bryce, and three by uh, Scott. So we feel very blessed with all eight of them. And that's, that's a full-time job there, yeah. you know, just having fun with them, 
uh, spending time with them. And so that has been a, a special blessing. Almost, it's almost like the old story goes that um, you, if you knew that grandchildren were so wonderful, you'd kind of pass on your own children and skip straight to the grandparent <laughs> yeah. of being a grandparent because it is a wonderful time. And, and thank the Lord that, that we have eight and they're all healthy and they're all fun to be with. I've got, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've got three. The oldest is six and a half and the youngest just turned six months old. But the two older ones, uh, I can be having the worst day imaginable and that front door opens up and and one of those two comes in. Grandpa, I'm here and my day's perfect. I mean, there is there is nothing like that. And I do believe, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that God knew what he was doing when he designed us to have kids when we're young, because those little girls will come over and spend the night and I'm thrilled when they're here and I'm thrilled when they leave because they wear me out. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. And you know why God gave us our own children? We were younger so that we could catch up and maybe be ahead of them in, in some areas because as we get older, it does wear us out. But it's, yeah. a, it's a nice feeling. And, and you gave a great example. When they open the door, our, our life changes, our day changes. It all of a sudden becomes very, very beautiful. Yeah. All right. I like to wrap up all of my interviews this way, and I'll give you a chance to do this. And, and I've gotten a bunch of different responses, not only just people expressing you know, what they're thinking, but even a different category of answers. So I will ask you, what is your legacy? Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I think most of all, it's um, being able to um, get into the Bible more and, and study and learn more about um, the life of Jesus. That has been a, a, a real uh, growing um, for, for myself and hopefully our family, you know, um, continues to grow um, because it, it's amazing that you read the Bible one day and it doesn't mean anything. And next day, oh my goodness, you know, that it, yeah. the, the gems, the Proverbs, the, uh, um, what you can learn almost every situation in the life that, that you encounter is right there in the Bible. So uh, I hope the legacy is to get people into the Bible and our family into the Bible because uh, God takes care of all of that. And there is a purpose for us. And he gives us an avenue to, to accomplish the purpose that he has for us. And then I guess the other big thing, I hope that some way I've been an encourager uh, to people um, as they walk uh, through their good times and their bad times. Well, I can, I can vouch for that last part for sure, because you have been an encourager to me many, many times through the years. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, I, I, again, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. And, and uh, hopefully one of these days we'll get your sons on here as well. Uh, but it, it's, it's always good to catch up with you, Coach. David, thank you. I uh, appreciate our friendship. And when you get Scott on, let me know so I can watch. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.